Good morning. How's everybody doing? All right. I heard a fantastic from the audience. Okay. Um, we're going to go to scripture, uh, and we're going to spend some time today in Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse one to nine. Let's read God's word. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntychus to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to gather. Lord, and to gather on a significant day is this, the last day of 2023. We thank you. We come to your word expectant. We pray you would speak to us, meet us. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus. Help us to see him, to know him, to worship him. And Father, we thank you for the love in which you meet us every single time when we boldly approach your throne. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, um, I realized as I was preparing for this message, uh, considering that it's the last day of the year, um, that I have this, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I have this weird relationship with the last day of the year in that I think we hype it up a little bit too much uh, but also, it's really significant, you know? And so, like, I just kind of, let me explain. Um, how many have heard, you probably have heard it already by now, folks saying, you know, new year, new me, you know, <laughs> resolutions and stuff like that. And you meet those same people by March, and it's like, hey, it's uh, old you, new you. You know, like, it was changed, you know? Um, it, it, we put a lot of stock in resolutions, even though statistics show that they actually don't really... Um, work. Some of you are like, yo, you're kind of killing my vibe, Pastor Chris. I was really positive about 2024. Work with me. Um, I'm not saying that there's no merit in resolutions or plans or, or hopefulness. We, above all people, have a reason to be hopeful. We, above all people, have a reason to strive to change and to grow because we don't do it in our own strength. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. But where I think we miss some kind of things that are happening in the background is this. I wish it was as simple to say that new year, new me, and presto, by one digit changing from one year to the next, 
everything's different. I wish it was like that. But it's been said that we don't live in the past, but actually that the past lives in us. So 2024 is going to come, and for some of us in our souls, it's going to be 2023 for a long time. And in fact, for some of us, 2024 is going to come, and more accurately, it's somewhere in the 90s, still in our soul, Um, because the past lives in us. And here's one way that the past lives in us, that it locks us into the past, that no matter how hopeful we want to be, no matter how forward-thinking and planning, and, and we, we really want to be positive, there's something that brews in our souls that will keep us locked in the past, that even though time is changing and moving forward and digits are changing, we stay in this kind of frozen state. And what I'm referring to is anxiety. Anxiety. What locks us, what binds us to the past is often our anxieties. Because here's the thing, and this is why I don't get all hyped up about the new year coming, even though I'm excited about 2024. I got great plans. Um, I, I think God has great plans for our church. Is that if we're not aware, a new year will come, and yet the same anxieties that were wrecking our life in this past year are still active. And what has really changed as a result? Over the next three weeks, today, the first two Sundays of January, we're going to spend time in God's Word talking about anxiety and hopefully you and I finding fresh resources to navigate with this experience. It's an experience that it's increasingly becoming like a dire situation. The the rates of anxiety that people experience is uh, just at record levels. People are experiencing anxiety at younger ages than ever before. Um, And as people get older, um, it just becomes more intense, more complex. Um, And as a pastor, as I talk with many of you, it doesn't matter what season of life, it's fascinating. Um, It doesn't matter uh, where you're at in your career, um, if you're single, if you have kids, if you have no kids, it doesn't matter. Anxiety is at work I would say, all of our lives. And I know that some of us are saying, not me. I'm glad you're saying this for my anxious friends, not me. I want to say it again, anxiety is at work in all of our lives. And because of that, we need some resources from God's word. So let's dive in. First, let me say this, that anxiety is complex. Um, Why I begin there is because throughout these sermons, uh, we'll touch on things that will sound therapeutic, but let me just put the disclaimer out there. I am not a therapist. I'm not a mental health counselor. Um, And so I have zero expertise in that area. Um, And so what we're going to attempt to do is to look at anxiety through a theological lens, look at it through the lens of the word of God. And why I begin there is because even though I believe that's the most important lens through which we should view this experience um, and this issue that we're talking about, I want to recognize a few things, is that it's not the only way that we should confront this experience. 
especially for those for whom anxiety is something that you're clinically diagnosed with. And so I say that in that if you are someone that deals with anxiety at that level, I want you to continue to access the resources that you're accessing. We are not a church that is anti-therapy, anti-mental health counseling. Uh, we actually believe that the marriage of the Word of God and therapy is an incredible marriage um, and that it could lead to such incredible transformation in our lives. Um, so with that said, why is it complex? Well, one, anxiety doesn't show up on its own. Anxiety comes with this really nasty little friend and actually shows up after this friend. How many have that friend in your life that you know if you hang out with them, you have to hang out with their friend? You don't, you don't, you don't have anybody like that? You're just like, oh man, I, want, I really want to hang out with you, but know, I know that if we hang out, it means... And so anxiety has this friend that shows up first. And that friend is stress. Stress. Stress shows up first. And then anxiety comes after. But let's talk about stress for a second. What are some things that stress you out? Now, normally, um, for the sake of order, and also because people are wild, you just don't know what to expect, Normally, don't just open it up for, for you know, shout to me, you know, because I, I don't want to get into a fight, you know, so just, but I would love for these next few moments, um, if, you, if you be down, um, if you could just say out loud something that stresses you. New York City. New York City. <laughs> real. New York City. Anybody else? Finances. Finances. Work. Work. Yes. Anyone else? Subways. Did someone say the Mets? <laughs> Let's add the Jets there, the Knicks, all New York-based teams. Anyone else? Wow, you see, I love it. What was that? My boss. My boss. I'm glad the camera's facing this way. Um, kids. Man, amen. Amen. It clearly, I... I, I the well is bursting open, you know. <laughs> we could be here for a while because there's so many things that stress us. So many, an unlimited amount of things that we can categorize as stress. I'll give you a, a recent experience of stress that I had. And so my kids, they choose to get ready at different paces depending on the day. It's the weirdest thing. And so during the, the week for school, it's just like pulling teeth. Uh, just, and, and it's no surprises. You gotta get up at this time, you gotta do what you gotta do, and you gotta be out the door at this time. We've been here before, there's no guesswork. And so, but every day there's something to manage it. Um, that doesn't really stress me, that more annoys me. Um, what stresses me is that we have to go to family, like for a holiday, get together because then they're gonna take their time, and then now I know it's like dominoes. And so, all right, if now if we're gonna get late, then it's gonna trigger my wife. She's gonna get annoyed at them. Because she's, she's getting stressed because she knows what family might perceive our lateness as. And so and then she knows if that happens, 
then later on, there's probably going to be a text or a call from her mom and say, hey, how come you guys got there late? You know how it And then, then, at, then at a certain point, it's all going to come back to me, you know, and I'm just going to be like, hey, you know, you know, family's family, you know. And so from the moment the shoes are late to be on, I already see the future, you know, just like, I see. so it's, the stress is there. That's one thing that happens every year that I could just anticipate it's going to be stressful. You have your things. Stress. It hits you for various reasons. But anxiety is a reaction to stress. After, your, after stress begins to resonate in your body, anxiety shows up after and reacts to that stress. Now, for those of you, when I said earlier, we all deal with anxiety, and I took a guess that some of you are like, not me. Why I took that guess is because I was you. I used to be you. Because uh, I thought I was never anxious. I was actually told that growing up. Chris, you're so cool, calm, and collective. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. Thank you. And so, like, you're so even keel. What I didn't realize was is that that was not actually a healthy thing. Um, I was very much detached from what was happening. The environment I grew up in, you weren't, fear was not a good thing. If you showed fear, you became prey. And so very early on, realized if you feel that, you disconnect it and you stay alert of your environment because someone's out to get you. And so that was great when it was the 80s and the 90s and I had to survive in in Brooklyn and the, the neighborhood that I grew up in was crazy. But as you grow up and that stuff subsides, it's no longer useful. And I know it's no longer useful because where my kids are growing up, it's an incredibly safe place, a nice neighborhood, but I'm still on edge, you know, just like, what you looking at? Who's that? that?" Like, it's still there. And so I still have to calm that stuff down. Anxiety is a reaction to stress. I used to think I wasn't anxious because I thought anxiety looked like a full-blown panic. So like, I never get like that. So I'm not anxious. And so if you thought, I don't deal with anxiety, maybe it's because you believed similar to what I used to believe, that anxiety looks a certain way, and you say, I never react that way, therefore I'm never anxious. But here's the mind-blowing revelation that I had to experience, which is, that anxiety shows up in our lives in all sorts of ways. In fact, anxiety shows up as overperforming. You're anxious about something, and in order to not feel anxious, you overperform. You overwork. You overthink. Anxiety shows up in our lives through not sleeping well. Some of you are just like, like, oh, crap, I haven't slept well. Maybe you're anxious. Maybe it's not because I had had coffee too late. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's because you're anxious. Anxiety shows up in irritability. Some of you are like, oh, man, I've been irritable for the last 10 years. (laughs) Maybe, maybe it's anxiety. It shows up in all sorts of ways. What I want to invite you to do is do some work and reflect and ask yourself the question, how is anxiety showing up in your life? 
Stress is there. So one, take time to name the stress. We did some of that. Take some time to do that more explicitly, more specifically. What is currently stressing you out? Without any judgment, by the way. A lot of times what makes it difficult to admit this stuff is that we have a lot of judgments about ourselves. And so like, if I admit that I'm anxious and that means I'm a weak person, I'm this and that, so therefore I'm not anxious. Don't put any judgments on it. If being anxious doesn't make you a less of a person, it doesn't mean anything. It just means you're experiencing something. And so name the stress and then do some work and, re- and try to ask yourself the question, how is anxiety showing up in your life? For me, I'll tell you, anxiety shows up for me by overperforming. I work more. That's my way of dealing with anxiety. Because what I subtly believe is that whatever I'm anxious about could be overcome by more effort on my part. How does it show up in your life? How does it show up in your life? But now, let's talk about anxiety. We talked stress. It shows up. And then its friend anxiety comes afterwards. Hey, there's a party. I'm here. And anxiety is there. Anxiety could be defined in so many ways. I want to define it in the most simplest way possible. Anxiety, quite frankly, quite succinctly, it means worry. When you and I are anxious, it means that we are worrying about something. Stress has showed up, and now our anxiety is responding we're responding with worry to the things that stress us. So when you identify the, the, the stress in your life, the question of where is anxiety showing up, you can determine that by asking, what am I worried about? What am I worried about? We're all worried about something. It could be big. It could be small. It could be something that we're comfortable sharing. It could be something that we don't want to say out loud. We're all worried about something. That's what anxiety is at its core, at its essence. It's complex. It's more than that, but it's never not that. That's its essence. It's a state of you and I worrying about the things that are stressing us. Here's some worries that I hear all the time, all around me from parents, from church members, from pastors I know, will I ever meet someone? How will our kids turn out? Will we have kids? Am I going to get fired? Prices keep going up. What will our country be like in the future? What will this next election be like? How long will my parents be here? What will life look like after they're gone? The list goes on and on and on. We worry. We worry. And it weighs us down. Here's the interesting thing about the passage we read. And I want you to put your seatbelt on because this is a wild passage. Verse 5, Philippians 4. says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I want to read those first words from verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Did you hear that? (laughs) Do not be anxious about anything. Now, here's what's fascinating about those words. The context of Philippians is that Paul is arrested while he's writing this. He's in jail. Already something to be anxious about. Because this was jail back then. Jails today are bad. Back then, they were utterly deplorable. So he's in jail as he's writing this. But on top of that, the occasion of the letter is that one of his fellow co-laborers in the gospel almost died. Epaphroditus, he almost died. His sickness brought him to the very end of his life. They thought he was going to go, and then he got better. So number one, you almost lost a loved one. He's in jail. Now this loved one, Epaphroditus, gets better. That's good. And now he's coming to bring an offering from the church in Philippi to support Paul in the ministry. Now, I mean, think about the faith involved in this. They don't know if Paul's going to get out of jail. They don't know if he's ever going to be able to use this beyond this moment. This could be the last moments that they see Paul. They didn't have a justice system. They had no recourse back then. It was brutal. And yet, in the midst of all of this, him being in jail, an uncertain future, a loved one almost dying, churches that he's burdened with in his heart that they would mature fully in the gospel He says, don't be anxious about anything. The emphasis on anything, anything, anything. It's such a sweeping statement. It's not even giving us qualifiers and saying, don't be anxious about anything. But it's all right occasionally to get stressed about the stock market. Like, there's there's no variable, there's nothing, there's no caveat to it. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, why that just rots me as I read it and study it is because as we talked about, stress will find you. You don't have, this is the crazy thing, you don't have to go looking for stress. You don't have to wake up in the morning and say, I think I'm going to find some things to get stressed out about. It will find you. Stress will find you. And when stress finds you, anxiety says, hey, I'm here. It will find you. You don't have to go looking for it. And so that's why this seems like such an impossible thing. Are we being told that we should never have anxiety about anything? That we should never be anxious At first, on the surface, that's the reading, and that to me feels impossible. I woke up this morning and felt anxieties of all sorts. Before I even preached this sermon, if I'm reading it the way we're reading it now, I've already messed up. I already have reason to turn to the Lord and confess and forgive me and help me to not be anxious. But here might be not only some good news, some relief, but also it sets the stage for how God wants to meet us in this experience of anxiety, is that in the original language, the the wording, the nuance of it, 
is that the prohibition is not against a single act of worrying. It's actually warning us against a continuous state of worrying. So when it says to not be anxious about anything, it's it's telling us to not live a life of continuous worry. Continuous worry. How many have ever had the misfortune of a New York City pigeon dropping its business on you? It's a gross thing. People try to, oh, that means money's coming your way. I, I'd rather stay broke, you know, like, I don't need a pigeon. Good luck is coming. I'd rather be unlucky, you know, just, I don't need some bird dropping his business on me. Could you help that? No. Like, try to dodge it, maybe. Maybe you could feel responsible. I wasn't quick enough. I wasn't agile enough. But you can't help it. You can't, it, it happens. But have you ever seen someone walk around with a bird building a nest on its head? Now that should concern you. Because to build a nest would require that the bird would have to take multiple trips. Find a twig here, nestle it. Find a little grass, nestle it. What does this have to do with anxiety? Work with me, wait. The experience of worry, a moment of worry, is like a bird pooping on your head. You couldn't help that. It happens. You're just, you're just alive, you're walking around, it happened. Can you help a bird building a nest on your head? Yes. Because the moment you realize this is happening, you can start, hey, what's going on? You can go run, go indoors, do something. It, you, don't, you don't let it just build up a habitat in your, in your, in, on your head. Worry, the prohibition that we're, that we're reading here, don't be anxious about anything. It's a prohibition against you and I allowing worry to build a house, to build a fortress, to lay foundation and brick upon brick upon brick upon brick where it becomes a stronghold, where now it's our default and, and, and we stay in it, we live in it, we, we, we can't see life throughout, through any other lens. It's always worry, it's always fear, it's always just intense anxiety, it's always that, because we allowed something to become a permanent part of our life, it's changed us, it's, it's actually like gone deep in our souls, that's the prohibition. We're told to not continue to worry. This is where that reggae song got it right. Don't worry about a thing. Because every little thing is going to be all right. Don't worry continuously. Don't allow yourself to continue to live in worry. It's not talking about a moment. If you leave today and this week and you have moments of anxiety, moments of worry, don't beat yourself up. Don't think that we're missing what God is inviting us into. No, what he's inviting us into is you and I resisting that moment becoming a state of being. Where we went from a moment, a feeling, a thought, to now it's colored our day. It's colored our week. 
And now we can't move out of it. And so if that's what God is saying to not, when he says, don't be anxious about anything, don't live in a state of worry, don't allow yourself to go into a constant state of worry, to continue in this state of anxiety, the question that emerges for me is, why would God consider that to be something that's concerning? Why is he concerned with you and I living in a constant state of worry? How many have the privilege and the stress of owning a car in New York City? Some of you that don't have a car, you're like, it's nothing but privilege. How dare you call it stress? Those that, those that have one, you know. Because guess what's coming soon, y'all? The snow. You, you don't know joy till you've ever shoveled out a car from snow and it's done. And then the truck piles it back again. I didn't know this about gas tanks. Um, you know, and I, what I found too is that people have very different relationships with the gauge of gas. And so for some people, when it's getting closer to E, some people are very comfortable with it, like being dangerously close to E. It's like, I know my car, I'm good. I, I still got a couple miles. And then there's some folks that like never let it get past like a quarter tank. It's like, oh, I'm always gonna be full. And experience tells me those people find each other and marry each other. And so, <laughs> it makes life really fun. I am the, I don't want it to be empty. And so just like, oh, 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 it's empty. My wife is just like on fumes, like, let's go to Connecticut. No, you know, like, what I didn't know about this, and then just to warn you, if you're the, I could drive my car close to empty, I'm about to give ammunition to the counterpart right here with science, because I believe in science. And so when the tank gets half empty, the, the gas actually begins to be consumed without even using the, the, the gas, because the air oxygen molecules begin to eat the gas up. Because the more space that's left, the emptiness of the, of the gas tank, now the molecules begin to eat up the gas without you even using it. And so you people that leave it empty know that science says no. But notice, it's, it, it's an interesting thing. This emptiness emerges. Half the tank is empty, but it's not really empty because these air, these oxygen molecules begin to fill it. And they keep filling it so much so that they keep consuming the gas to fill it even more. It's actually a principle that doesn't just show up there. It's something that shows up in many areas of life. What, uh, things don't stay empty. Something inhabits it. Something will fill it. Something will not only fill it, but will seek to take over more. And so what happens is that worry, persistence in worry, a continuance in worry, it essentially it like creates this room in our hearts where non-belief in God begins to brew and that doesn't stay contained. It expands and it expands and it eats up more until it consumes everything. 
And so one of the reasons why God is so concerned with you and I finding ourselves in a state of continuous worry is because continuous worry will eventually lead us to a state of default non-belief in God. One author called anxiety a form of temporary atheism. And, and, and I love the thought behind it because what he's trying to get at is that for the moments when you and I persist in worrying, those moments actually cause us to function as if God wasn't present, as if he wasn't good, as if he wasn't real. Again, persistence in worry, persistence in anxiety. It, it puts us into a state of a default temporary atheism where we're functioning as if God is not real, as if he's not present, as if he's not good. You know, recently I was interviewing this church planner for a podcast that I'm a part of that will be launching sometime this year, and I was asking him just what has surprised you. He planted a church in the Chelsea neighborhood of New York City. Um, what's been unexpected? And, and, and in particular, said, so what's been the most difficult thing? And his response has been like chewing at my heart because it was so powerful, so honest. He said, if you want me to tell you the honest thing, the most difficult thing is realizing how little I actually believe the good news. But if you want to talk about other things, yeah, finding a space was hard. And, and so and I was like, whoa, 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 let's go back to that first answer. How little I actually believe the good news. That's been the hardest part of this journey. See, when we talk about, you'll hear that a lot in our church, the term gospel. And it's this word that encompasses so much. And sometimes, because we use it a lot, you can get confused as to what it means, because it means so many things. But in essence, when we look at the scriptures, the good news of Jesus is the incarnation. Jesus coming into his own creation, becoming God, being fully God, becoming fully human, entering into our experience and, and from this infancy, he, he grows up and he leads a fully obedient life. Jesus lived the most flourishing human life ever known. And so the good news of Jesus is not just that he was born, but that he actually lived. And he lived in a way that you and I could be transformed into living like him. But the good news of Jesus is also that he was crucified. And that he was buried and that he rose again. And he did that for our sins and for our justification. The good news of Jesus is that he's credited to us his righteousness. That you and I are righteous not because of anything we do or behave or obey. Obedience is, is important, but obedience doesn't make you righteous in the eyes of God. Believing in Jesus' obedience and him crediting his righteousness to us, that's what makes us righteous before God. And a righteousness that's not contingent on our works, but on his perfect obedience the gospel is also the gift of the Holy Spirit. The good news of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit now lives inside of us believers. And he lives inside of us to empower us to have Christ-likeness in all ways of our life. To give us the gifts of, of, of him and empower us to do the things that Jesus has done. Amen. The good news of Jesus is that he created a brand new community, a new humanity. In the midst of our broken, divided world, a community like us can exist 
where our differences don't alienate us any longer because we now are founded on a common identity of people who have been redeemed. Persistence in worry happens whenever we cease to believe any one of those aspects of the good news. When we believe that the Holy Spirit isn't enough, that God's community isn't necessary, that Jesus living the way he lived doesn't have an impact in my life. It doesn't, have, it doesn't give me hope that his righteousness is not available to me through faith. Persistence, wor- persistence and worry shows us where we're ultimately not believing the full good news of Jesus. Because we see in Paul, when he tells us to not be anxious, he wasn't telling us something that was dependent on circumstances because his circumstances were justified in him being anxious. But he was telling us to not be anxious because if you look at the very first words before he says, don't be anxious, he says, the Lord is at hand. The number one reason why you and I should strive to not allow ourselves to live in a constant state of anxiety is not because our circumstances deserve better, not because you should just be positive, you should just be hopeful, look at other people in the world, they're doing worse than you, and you should be grateful. No, you and I could not, can actually walk in this invitation to not be anxious about anything because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is with you. The Lord is present. He's near you. He hears you. He's not far from you. The name of the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous can run into and be safe. We call on the Lord. Those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved because the Lord is at hand. We now are empowered to not be anxious. As we close and as the worship team comes forward, I want to ask you to reflect on the following. Where in your life does non-belief in God become your functional reality? Where in your life do you see yourself living as if God wasn't real? even though we know him to be. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe your level of worry would, be, would make sense if God wasn't real. Maybe it's in your relationships. Your level of worry would make sense if God wasn't good. Maybe it's with your career. Your level of worry would make sense if God wasn't for you and he didn't create you the way he did with the gifts that you have and you add value wherever he puts you. Where do you see non-belief in God growing in your soul? Because when you, when you locate that, you'll find where persistent worry will continue to grow in your heart. Could I invite us to stand? As we respond in these next few moments, the prayer team is in the back. 
If you would like to receive prayer for anything at all, anything the message might have stirred for you, the words that were shared earlier, in these next few moments, we invite you to slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer. We'd love to pray with you. As we close this year, last Sunday of 2023, and we approach a brand new year, let's do so by laying down our burdens before the Lord. If you feel comfortable, can I invite you to raise your hands as we let go. Lord, even now, we let go, we lay down the things that we persistently worry about, the things that keep us up at night, the things that make us overperform or are irritable or all the other ways that anxiety shows up in us. We lay these things down. Not the moments of anxiety. Thank you for your grace that when we're, we have these moments of anxiety, that you're not judging us, you're not correcting us, you love us. But that you're inviting us to steer clear of a continued state of anxiety, continuing to worry. We lay that down right now because we don't want those things to carry into the next year. We lay it down right now. Jesus. Jesus, we lay it down. Help us to fully believe the good news as we lay it down. Let's worship God together in these next few moments.